the latter half of Revelation chapter 7, we see a great multitude suddenly appear in heaven. And it's an uncountable number from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. It tells you about the scope of the reach of the gospel and that God's people are everywhere. They appear in heaven in this incredible scene in Revelation 7. We're going to study the great multitude in Revelation 7 today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to the Walk in Truth weekend program. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. You can learn more about Pastor Michael, the online store, and podcast when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Revelation 7, the 144,000 and the great multitude. question in Revelation 6.17, which is pertinent to this group and their position before God. Take a look. For the great day of their wrath has come or is about to occur. And the question is, who is able to stand? We looked at Malachi 3 uh, verse 2. We looked at Joel 2.11. Who is able to stand? But there is a group that's able to stand. The great multitude is standing before the throne with palm branches in their hand. Who's able to stand? They're able to stand. And the question is, how? Who will be able to stand in that day? Who can endure his coming? Our God is a consuming fire. Who will be able to stand in that day? Jude 24 says it beautifully. It's a benediction. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. By the way, the book of Jude is right before Revelation. It is interesting to me that these people who are standing It says, he will make you to stand in the presence of his glory with blameless, with great joy. I believe this is a picture of the church from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and people waving palm branches saying, I'm standing. And the reason I'm standing is because I was purchased with the blood of the lamb. Amen. If you want the answer to the question, who's going to be able to stand in that day? Who's going to be in white robes representing purity? It is those who have the victor's robe who place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they, this is Revelation 7.10, this great uncountable multitude from every tribe, tongue, and nation and people, they cry out with a loud voice. And what do they say? They say, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now they say it loudly. The word salvation, by the way, is in Greek soteria. Some of you who look at theology closely have heard of the study of soteriology. The study of soteriology is the study of salvation. You could read volume upon volume upon volume upon volume of just that. And the debates of Calvinism and Arminianism and Lutheranism and whatever ism you want to talk about. Soteriology. The the word soteria is the word for salvation, but if you look it up in a Greek lexicon, you will find definitions like this. Soteria means rescue, safety, deliverance, salvation. Salvation 
to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, if this is the raptured church, let me ask you, how excited would you be to be in a crazy world with some wicked antichrist with all kinds of pressure and all of a sudden the sky gets dark, Jesus appears in the glory with his angels and takes you out of here into the throne room, places a palm branch in your hand. How much would you be waving that baby? How loud would you be singing? You could put it this way, deliverance to our God and to the Lamb because the Greek word soteria is also deliverance. That's what it means. This group has been saved. You could say delivered because salvation is deliverance. Take a look at 1 Thessalonians. Go back a little bit in your Bible. 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to look at uh, chapter 4 as we look at this idea of rapture and the day of the Lord. Let's look at it together. We're going to read a long section with very little commentary, but it's verses we've seen before, but I want you to take a look at a little bigger portion. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that means those who have died, that you may not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. 1 Thessalonians 4.14. Just a, a quick sidebar. I was listening to Greg Kokel, and he was talking about the problem of evil. And he said he was at a church giving a talk and an atheist young man stood up and he said, I have to give him a lot of credit. He was in a church. He identified himself as an atheist and, uh, you know, he, he was arguing for his position and, and so forth. And basically it came down to this. Greg said, you know, if there is no God, you know, we talk about the problem of evil, but how is anything evil if there's no standard of morality? In other words, how do you have a problem of evil if there's no objective good to begin with? You can't have a problem of evil if there's no absolute good or truth. So that's, that's number one. But this young man says, I'm an atheist. I don't believe. Greg says, okay, you know, what are your arguments? Back and forth they go. And so the young man basically says, you know, um, I find uh, my atheism to be very freeing. He said, the my belief in atheism means if there is no God, then I can do whatever I want. There are no moral restraints on me. You know, when you peel back atheism, that's one of the major drivers for it, by the way, is that way you can get, of your, get rid of your moral restraints. I was in a parking lot at a school, tried to witness to a lady that was a teacher. She was getting in her car. I tried to open up a conversation and she said, oh, you're from a church. I, I don't want to hear that. I'm an atheist. She said, you should try it sometime. It's very freeing. Shut the door and off she sped. Have a nice day. God bless you. <laughs> now, how do you respond to an atheist? Well, some of you are tracking with this because you know that, hey, I have, I have an old professor of mine who used to say Christianity cramped his lifestyle. Because when you have moral restraints on you from the God of the Bible, it is something that has to make you think about how you act and how you behave. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. But Greg, Greg made it a very interesting point. He said, you know, this guy's whole argument was, now that I'm an atheist, I have no moral restraint, so I can do whatever I want. And Jesus said, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. An atheist believes, hey, if I can dismiss God, then I have the freedom to sin up a storm Listen to it. Freedom to sin up a storm and I can do whatever I want. And Jesus said, whoever commits sin is a 
slave. How many of you can relate to this? You were an unbeliever, sinning up a storm. It was fun for a while because sin is fun for a season until all of a sudden that thing became your master. Can I get a witness? And somebody said, oh, I'm free to do whatever I want, brother. Oh, you are? Actually, the Lord of the universe said, if you live that way, you'll become a slave to the very thing that you think you have control over. And story after story comes out where people die in their sin, commit suicide. It goes on and on. Now, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we do, 1 Thessalonians 4.14, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Those who have died in Jesus are in good hands. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 4.15, that we who are alive and remain until what? The coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have died or fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So you're going to have a resurrection and a rapture that go together. Then we who are alive and remain or survive shall be caught up together with them, the dead who are resurrected in the clouds when he comes to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Keep reading. No chapter breaks in the original letter. Now as to the times and the epics or the times and the seasons of what he just talked about, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written of you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord, this is what I believe is the wrath of God, the second coming of Jesus to save his people and judge the world, will come just like a thief in the night. There was a movie called Thief in the Night. While they, there's a contrast between they and us, while they are saying peace and safety, and apparently they'll be saying this right up to the day of the Lord. When they are saying peace and safety, then Destruction will come upon them suddenly, like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, by contrast to they, brethren, you are not in darkness that the day, I think that's the day of the Lord from verse 2, should overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. Let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we are awake or asleep, so whether we're one of the survivors or we have died, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Build up one another just as you also are doing. Now back to Revelation chapter 7. So this great group is in heaven. They've got palm branches dressed in white. The angels are there. If you pick it up at Revelation 7, look at verse 11. They, they have uh, worshipped the Lord. And all the angels, 7-11, were standing around the throne... And there's a lot of angels, by the way. And around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. You've been listening to the Walk in Truth weekend program. 
You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Deuteronomy 33.2 says, He came from the midst of 10,000 holy ones. At his right hand there were flashes, there was flashing lightning for them. Daniel 7.10 mentions thousands upon thousands attending God, myriads of myriads standing around him. So whatever... uh, Whenever we get a picture of the throne room of God, we get a picture of myriads of angels. So get this, uncountable numbers of people and incredible numbers of angels. So one day we are going to interact with the angels, which is pretty cool. I just want to meet Michael. That's one on the top of my agenda, right? But imagine that. Imagine the, the, the scene in the throne room. Uh, all these people who worship God, the angels worship God, and they say, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. I think there's seven things in this benediction. Blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power and might. Seven, be to our God forever and ever. Let's say it together. Amen. So verse 12 is bracketed in amens, and there are amens in heaven, so we might as well practice on the earth. Can I get one? All right, that's pretty cool. Anyway, there you go. And one of the elders, one of the ancients, maybe angels, maybe a human leader of some sort, answered and said to me, these who are clothed in white robes. Now John has taken all this down, right? He's watching this in the spirit. He's been taken up there to see. One of the elders says to John, who's kind of just, you know, uh, an observer, who are they? And from where have they come? These, this great multitude, who are they? Where'd they come from? NIV says, who are they? And where did they come from? Now, imagine being John. I didn't know there was gonna be a test here too. I'm just recording stuff and I'm just an observer here. What, What do you mean? And he said to him, my Lord, which is a title of great respect, you know, uh, this is, this is reminiscent, I think what, what, uh, Uh, similar to what Ezekiel said. Can these bones live? (laughs) You know, I don't know. Well, he said, you know, that's a smart answer when someone who asks you the question knows the answer and you don't. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of what? The great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Now, we are not told that these are martyrs, but we are told that they come out of the great tribulation and there seems to be a scene of immediacy. In other words, where did all these people come from? Who are they and where did they come from? They seem to appear all of a sudden to where, to such a degree that it drives the question. Who are these people? They're uncountable. They're from everywhere. Every tribe, tongue, nation of people. Where'd they come from? And they've come out of the great tribulation and they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Now this is, again, symbolic. Blood does not make things white. 
But Jesus' blood makes us before God white as snow. Though our sins be as crimson, they will be what? As white as snow. Right now, you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Right now, God the Father sees you through the perfection of his son. You have his imputed righteousness. You have been forgiven. Ephesians 1, 7 says we have redemption through his blood, Christ's blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Aren't you glad? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So the question is, has his blood, another way to say this is, has his atoning work on the cross been applied to you? You say, well, how do I apply it to me? You receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, Lord, King of your life. Now this, for this reason, verse 15, they, this great multitude, are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. For this reason is a connecting phrase. The reason that they are standing clean before him, before his throne, is because they are blessed, forgiven, and not judged because they are washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's why they can stand before the Lord. Moses in Exodus 30, 32 through 34, somewhere in there, says, Lord, I want to see your glory. And God says, no one can what? See my face and live. But these people are right before his throne. How do they get there? How do they stand? The reason is because they're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Because they're forgiven. They stand in the very presence of God Almighty. And later in the book of Revelation, we will see that we will see God's face, which is an amazing thing. In fact, would you not say it's pretty much what we've longed for our whole lives? Do you want to see God? Do you want to see his face? You say, well, how, what will that be like? I don't know. I don't know for sure. But I'll tell you what, it's going to be glorious. We're going to see Jesus face to face. We're going to see God. And I don't know everything that that means. But I'll tell you what, it's an amazing reality. And if you're a Christian, it's your future. You see, you need to put yourself here because that's where you're going to be. You're going to see his face. There's going to be joy, worship, blessing. God spreading his tabernacle over them is a Greek word which evokes memories of the tabernacle in the wilderness. We might translate it this way. He will make his Shekinah to dwell with them. We will be in the presence and the glory of God. Morris says, as it is often was among the Jews of the time, it means the immediate presence of God. God will cover us under the shadow of his wings. We will be there in his presence. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now look at what happens next. This is the last few verses. They, this great group, shall hunger no more. Now, why does it say hunger? If you're an American, this may not apply to you. But what if you've gone through a time of great tribulation where it was difficult to get food? Maybe you couldn't even buy or sell. They will 
neither thirst anymore. Why would, they, why would that be a big deal? Why would you mention that they were thirsty? Maybe they were in hiding. Maybe they had gone through a tough time where resources were minimal. Neither shall the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. Again, you can take it for what you think it means. I think they've been through a tough time. For the lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd and shall guide them to the springs of the water of life. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. God is going to wipe away every tear of sorrow. And, you know, the immediate application here is imagine if this group is a raptured group that's been through great tribulation, imagine the tears. Imagine the prayers. Imagine the endurance that it will take. Imagine maybe watching people pay the ultimate price. I think there's certainly application there. Later on in Revelation 21 verse 4, it says, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And these the springs of the water of life are mentioned again. The water of life is mentioned in Revelation 21 6, 22, 1, and 22.17. I want to take you to Isaiah 25 and we're done. So Shane, if you can hear my voice, uh, we're going to be wrapping up. Isaiah 25. There's a parallel scripture here, which is um, a banquet scene. And it picks up some of these themes. Isaiah 25, verse 3. Therefore, a strong people will glorify thee. 25.3. Cities of ruthless nations will revere thee. For thou hast been a defense for the helpless. A defense for the needy in his distress, 25.4 of Isaiah. A refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like rain, a rainstorm against a wall. Like heat in, in drought, thou dost subdue the uproar of aliens. Like heat by the shadow of a cloud, the song of the ruthless is silenced. And the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering, which is over all peoples, even the veil, which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. And he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. It rings with Revelation 7, doesn't it? Salvation. Behold, this is our God whom we, for whom we have waited that he might, what? Save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Well, yes, this is such a beautiful picture. And in light of what the people of God have been through, ending up in the presence of God with their great shepherd, springs of water, him wiping tears away from our eyes, him being our shelter, our peace, our Lord, our God, our salvation is an incredible picture. And this is a picture of hope, my friend. If you've lost a loved one recently, if you're facing a difficulty in your own life or with your own mortality, if you're wrestling with some of these, the times that we live in, the season that we live in, you're going through Revelation, you're thinking, man, this is some heavy stuff. Just park here for a little bit. 
and, and think about this great feast. Think about this incredible time with our King and our God. Think about how he refreshes our deepest needs, how he meets them, how we're going to be with him forever, in his house forever. Man, this is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, and that hope is the anchor of our souls. Now, remember, friend, you're always invited to come to church at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, where I have the honor and privilege of serving as senior pastor. This morning, I'm teaching from the incredible chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. But you know what? There's some deep stuff in here, stuff we need to have about application, but even stuff about the end times and the wrapping up of things. Come on out. Check it out today. 9 and 11, 15 a.m. are the services. There's a kids ministry, youth group. You can find out all the information and directions when you download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app in your app store. Make sure you look for the red logo with the pillars, or you can go to the website walkintruth.com and click on the visit tab. The church is at 1009 Arsenal Way in Corona, right off the 91 Freeway and Lincoln Avenue. Come on out this morning. I'd love to talk to you in the courtyard, get to know you a little bit better, give you a handshake or a hug. And remember, there's donuts and coffee too, and you can get filled up physically and spiritually. I know you'll enjoy it. Now, make sure you tune in on Monday to learn more about the opening of this incredible seventh seal. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you. We'll catch you then. Remember, to learn more about Pastor Michael, the online store, podcast, or to donate, visit walkintruth.com. And thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.